AVXL episode 170 was recorded on February 18th, 2022. New projectors from Epson and LG. When should you clean your screen and how not to trash it when you do? How fast can you build a sweet home theater? More sound, more fun. JDS Labs Element 3. The joys of digital volume control and so much more. Don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you've got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make this show possible. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welp Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Can I say Norton any faster than that? Norton? 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 Norton. Get Norton. in the car! <laughs> I've lost... <laughs> there used to be two syllables in my name. Um, oh, my okay. goodness. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Friday, okay. man. <laughs> Happy Friday to you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Yes. Um, so much going on, so much mayhem, so much madness. We usually start the show with what we're excited about. And I got to say, this is a product I've been waiting for for several years. As many of you know, if you are longtime listeners of the show, I'm a projector enthusiast. And, you know, I've been running projectors uh, for a long time because it used to be that getting a, pro- you know, getting a screen that was bigger than, 50, you know, getting a TV that was bigger than 55 inches was incredibly expensive. And at the time when a 55-inch television was going to cost me like two grand i found a, a projector on sale from uh i want to say woot you got the <laughs> woot like deal. 700 bucks i got the woot deal and uh on a refurbished projector it was life-changing um so i've been running an epson projector in my house uh for quite some time. The current one I have is 550UB, uh, which was a huge jump in terms of the contrast and the darkness of the blacks. That's still a little, superb projector. Nothing wrong with that. It is a that. fantastic projector. For it the is, price point, it's excellent. Yes, and that, that price point is interesting for projectors because that's right around that $3,000 price point, which is a lot of money because you can get a good-looking projector for $1,000, especially if you're mostly using it for sports, if you're not sort of feral intent cinemaphile slash quality TV watcher, if you're using it in the backyard, if you've got a raucous environment. There's some good-looking five or $600 1080p projectors yeah. out there. That is the thing to keep in mind if you're not doing like the pristine home theater setup as good as possible and you need something that's simply yeah. functional heck yeah look uh, i'll do a little roundup of that maybe next week but what the hell is uh, epson <laughs> up to so they finally announced uh this is on the pro lineup and uh the epson pro cinema ls 12000 4k pro uhd laser projector um it's front projector true multi-array laser diodes uh they're using one of epson's three lcd three chip rigs to bring the color 2700 ANSI lumens uh, color or white brightness for an exceptional picture in virtually any theater environment even in rooms with ambient light that's 20,000 cool. hours on that laser yeah actually for me the number one thing about this is hey this is a laser that's 20,000 hours in normal medium or eco mode that is not having to spend a couple three hundred dollars on a lamp every couple of years depending on how vicious you know, your, your watching is. Do not leave your projector on 24-7 playing the Weather Channel like your parents did. Um, <laughs> no. You will burn the lamp out and it gets spendy. Um, HDR10 support, HDR10+, HLD support. 
Uh, they're talking about like 15 steps of real-time HDR adjustment, 14-point temperature adjustment for white balance. For the gamers out there, they got the 120 hertz refresh rates. This is a pixel shifting projector. I have no issues with that. I cannot. I. I. I cannot tell the difference at this point between a quality 4K projector, whether it's faux FAUX pixel shifting 4K or if it's a genuine 4K. They're looking to do a, an increase in what they call Epson Ultraback technology. I'll just read the marketing blurb here. Taking full advantage of the laser array light source, Epson created a proprietary compensation filter that controls the polarization of light itself. This allows Epson to suppress any stray light within the signal and dramatically enhance the picture contrast to produce an infinite dynamic contrast ratio exceeding 2,500,000 to 1, which is their way of saying, hey, we worked really hard to make the blacks look as black as possible. Ooh. And that's kind of a big deal in the HDR world, right? We talk about this all the time with OLEDs. OLEDs have this fantastic look because you can turn the pixels off. Well, you can't really do that on a projector, not at this point. I'm curious to see what it measures uh, because, you know, this is like my projector is like a, you know, the MSRP and that was like $3,000. Uh, and to get a significant improvement in the contrast or the blackness of the blacks or the color, you were looking at like spending twice as much. Um, true, true. You know, that's I, usually what be... the premium projectors are known for in, yeah. in terms of providing that really good contrast that just it makes the picture pop. It provides that dynamic range yeah. that just grabs the eye. It makes colors look more punchy. It, it all around. That's really what you want, but. I find that even if you look at some of JVC's latest laser projectors, if you compare that to the lamp-based projectors that came before, you'll find that it's hard to do good contrast with consumer laser projectors of any kind. And right. that all the more is going to make me very curious to see the LS12000 side by side or, or, you know, in a bit of a shootout with something like your right. projector, a 5040 or 5050, or I think even now the 5060s might be out for all I know. Either way. Uh, one thing that the LS12000 has that kind of I'm curious about is this, quote, precision shift glass plate technology that they're using not only yeah. for the, the pixel shifting, but apparently it allows, I believe, for its 120 hertz refresh rate, which will yeah. appeal to gamers and folks who just appreciate having a, a refresh rate that can be broken down into multiples depending on whatever common yeah. frame rates you're dealing with, be it 60p, 24p or whatever it just it works good yeah. and it's just fast enough for gaming as well and i'm i'll be uh, curious to see what those latency specs are yeah. but this is nice this is a five thousand dollar projector so it's considerably more spendy than the 5050 ub it also occurs to me that you know there is a pro cinema 6050 ub that was kind of the the big sister or big brother of the 5050 UB. Um, so I feel that there might be another model that's a little bit less expensive sometime in the future. I am seeing that it is ISF certified, the Imaging Science Foundation. That really doesn't imply anything other than that at least they've taken a look at it and put their stamp of approval on it in terms of at least having the picture controls available that I would want to see on there. And yeah. hopefully one of the presets is already pretty close right out of the factory. That seems that to be, be a nice. little easier to do on projectors than TVs in general for some reason. But still, <laughs> no, when it comes to projectors, too, it's also a combination of the screen and the room lighting that can affect how the, the color appears the lens, to you. Totally. The quality of the screen. I got I to gotta give a shout out. Epson does some really nice things with, uh, you know, the lens, for example, right? Powered focus. 
optical zoom, lens positioning. Um, you know, they've got a crazy, like, the horizontal shift is, is 47.1%, plus or minus. Vertical shift is 96.3%, which is essentially means you can shift that screen a lot. And that is incredibly helpful when you're dealing with projector placement where maybe you can't put the projector at the sort of the center line of the screen or in the ideal position. Be aware, though, that using any of those controls does reduce the overall light output the more you crank it sure. down. But it is so handy for installation, especially if it's, yeah. it just means you don't have to be absolutely perfect. It just has to be at least level, and then you can get the picture right where you want it. Oh, I'm also <laughs> seeing that uh, input lag times, sub 20 millisecond for gaming. I'll be curious to see if that's at 120 frames per second or maybe at 60. It doesn't exactly specify. We're both very curious to see how this measures in the real world. And... Uh... It has potential, yeah. you know, especially because when you're looking at the, the next big jump in a projector, you know, there's Sony's that are pretty spendy. Um, JVC, uh, they finally finished off the DLA NX5. That used to be the big jump up from the UB5050, right? And that was twice the price of $6,000. The entry level on the DLA lineup from JVC is now the MP5. MSRP on that is like seven grand. If you can find one. And that's, I think, part of the reason why there wasn't a lot of projectors for a year and a half, I think, is, you know, like everything else we've seen for so long, there's been some availability issues on parts and stuff. So I'm excited to see more projectors. Me too. Speaking of which, we've got a pair of new projectors from LG, a couple of Cinebeams, the HU715Q, it's an ultra-short-throw projector, and the HU710 hybrid long-throw projector. Those are both coming in under $3,000. Uh, the HU715Q, uh, ultra-short-throw, single blue laser with a combination of a phosphor wheel and a color wheel. Um, LG says 2,500 lumens, 20,000 to 30,000 hours of lamp life. 120 inches max on a screen. Uh, auto brightness, uh, which I laugh because it's like auto brightness to adjust the brightness in compensation for the ambient light in the room. Because what else would auto brightness of. do? Exactly. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and it's got uh, stereo speakers built in. So it's, a, it's kind of like a plastic case with a gray fabric colored panel that kind of looks like all the other gray fabric consumer electronics you've seen in the last couple of years it's they have a, a pair of tweeters and a pair of woofers facing the audience and on the back side they've got a pair of uh, additional woofers on there it's like 20 watts for each channel uh, apparently it can do 4.2 with additional bluetooth speakers the front projector the hu710p is using a hybrid laser led light lens and, and it's a blue laser with uh, red and blue led modules and apparently the LED modules are to tweak the color, not to add additional brightness. There's no color wheel in this. Uh, they're talking 2,000 lumens for that. And, you know, to put this into contrast, now, the that Epson projector we just mentioned is significantly more expensive, but, you know, one of the ways you reduce the cost on a projector, for example, in the case of this 710p, is the zoom and focus. You, you pull up the top panel and there's manual zoom and focus. And the horizontal right. and vertical lens shifts are via dials on the side, which you may prefer to have the, the physical knob in your hand. But uh, that's one of, the way, you know, one of the ways to save money is not have a whole bunch of motors inside of there. Uh, XBR pixel shifting technology uh, for these DLP projectors. HDMI 2.1, Projector Central says neither actually has the bandwidth to display uh, 4K to 120 hertz. 
these both have WebOS built in, which means they have streaming apps like Netflix, which is not that common in a projector. And apparently they both support AirPlay 2, which I am always a fan of. AirPlay 2 has simplified my life in so many ways, at least on the audio side of things. Heck yeah. <laughs> I'm digging it. I like portable projectors, and I'm curious to see what the price point will be for something like the HU710P, the, the long throw projector, as I'm... Uh, Always curious. Under three thousand. <laughs> That's not bad. That implies that there's going to be some pretty decent picture quality, at least in terms of the color yeah. delivery on both of these projectors. I'm assuming they will also probably have something equivalent to automatic tone mapping for your HDR content to really help get the best look out of these. And it wouldn't surprise me to see them at least exceed Rec. Seven Hundred Nine or BT Seven Hundred Nine color. And come pretty close, at least, to that wider color palette used for things like 4K, ultra-high-def movies, or your HDR Dolby Vision content as well. I think they would be tooting their horns quite loudly if any of these were exceeding DCI color. But in this case, <laughs> you know, you're also talking $2,000 less compared to what Epson's right. doing for their brighter, true multi-array laser diode projector. One thing about the Epson, though, that I am curious about is that they're not explicitly saying it's an RGB laser projector, and I'm a little curious about that. I'm I'm wondering if there might be a little bit of uh, phosphor technology in there as well, creating perhaps one of the primary colors. But anyway, reviews coming soon and clarity to be had. (laughs) That Epson LS12000, it does have a laser slash phosphor light source, Um, so blue laser array, Fixed yellow phosphor. So yeah, it is definitely there is definitely some uh, some phosphor going on in there, and a, a dichroic dichro. I can't say that word. D i c h r o i c dichroic dichroic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, with color filters and the LCD panels. Um, but yeah, no, they're they're using uh, they're using uh, phosphor to tweak. The light from the though not laser a true radio. RGB laser projector. Yeah, no. still always cool to see. Well, and, and think about it, right? But a, a true RGB laser would require three lasers, right? True. Okay. Red, a blue, and Just a green. Checking. And <laughs> with companies like Hisense and Samsung and others now getting those out, but those are all ultra short throw projectors, aren't they? This is true. And, you know, and that is one of the cool things I really do like about the LS12000 is the fact that it does do that long throw design. It's just, uh, it's unique and true. At this point, I don't know of any consumer projectors that are true RGB laser and a long throw design, not a short throw. They seem to be the majority of them are short throw. (laughs) If not all of them I can think of. Yeah, exactly. I I always wonder, is there some sort of... Inherent danger involved when you have a <laughs> Lasers. a laser firing out of the front of a box that isn't really bouncing yeah. off of anything. But I don't know. Eyeballs being zapped comes to mind. But this is humor. Please don't sue us, anyone. I'm not accusing anybody's product of being dangerous, especially when I want it in my home. <laughs> Let us shift gears before the lawyers find us. Indeed. <laughs> Quickly. Cleaning your screen. <laughs> Tell me yeah. about the screen. Oh, one thing in the process of moving recently was going through once everything was set up and taking a look at things like monitors and televisions and giving a good once over to the device itself in terms of cleaning it off. 
and in particular, uh, getting rid of things like fingerprints and hopefully right. maybe some light dusting. And I just wanted to quickly go over some tips for cleaning any TV screen per se. Barman's friend. Yes. Never dull. Caustic yes. chemicals. No. Just wipe that. <laughs> Don't use anything. When to do it. Uh, let's just talk about right off the bat <laughs> when you should clean your screen. Uh, less is better. Always. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you can do to help minimize things like dust on the surface of the screen that you look at is to simply hang it up. If you wall mount it, you can often angle that screen down just slightly enough for that regular dust in the room when it settles won't land directly on the screen itself. You may end up with a dusty top edge and maybe one of the vents in the back. And that is something you want to also keep in mind. Also, if you are going to set up a TV, just make sure it is safely anchored. Uh, <laughs> Anchorit.gov literally is a great website for looking at different products and suggestions for not only TVs, but anything heavy that can tip over and can be climbed upon. And it's right. not just for securing your equipment against the kids per se, but... Uh, kids at any, uh, or, or sometimes some uh, outrageous adults. This, so to speak. this is the point where I, I usually point out, do you have that one drunk friend that's going to try to do pull-ups or push-ups on your television that's hanging off the wall? And maybe you don't, and that's awesome. But if you do, <laughs> but that overkill whole... is never a bad idea for your television mount. Totally. <laughs> Totally. And that was the whole point of bringing up. Just being able to angle that screen slightly right. forward is a terrific way. If you can do that as well for a computer monitor, although I find that more difficult, typically you're tilting the monitor up at you. But that alone will keep a lot of dust off of it. If you have to dust the screen, always use a clean microfiber cloth. And before you ever let that rag touch the screen, give it a quick feel for any hard particles you may have missed because you want to do this very lightly and you definitely don't want to be scratching the surface of a screen of any kind. I have seen someone pull a rag out of their backpack and wipe across a monitor and leave a giant sandpaper-like scratch across the center of their monitor. This was a laptop, not a not a television, but seriously. Oh, um, either way, yeah, that's even permanent. Even if you've washed it, Literally, you know, f fondle your microfiber thoroughly. All it takes is one grain of sand to just irritate the snot out of you for the rest of your life. And there will be no pearl from your television. No. From that irritant. And if you do have some clean microfibers that you trust, keep mm -hmm. them sealed in a bag when they're not in use just to keep them uh, especially clean and dedicated yeah. just for this particular use. And as we were joking about earlier... Don't spray anything on the screen. No glass cleaners, no anything. Uh, yeah. It's unnecessary. If you need to clean something off of the screen, lightly dampen the clean microfiber cloth with yeah. the water and then gently go at it. Can I just amplify the never ever using any? The, the, the strongest cleaner you should ever use on your monitor only when absolutely necessary because some kid pressed pizza hands on it or you're dealing with a peanut butter grabbing situation is like a weak mixture of alcohol. 70%, 90% rubbing alcohol in water. And again, don't ever spray your monitor. One of the most horrifying things we ever saw was somebody had sprayed a monitor and it had sucked 
the fluid back up into one of the layers, right? Because your, oh, your, yeah. your panels... It'll capillary know, that stuff right around <laughs> and right up. And that then will likely discolor something yeah. and will be noticeable during use. Yeah. But even on something like modern OLED screens, they're generally highly glossy. And that's, again, just something you want to be careful with. Any rag that has even a chance of it having some sort of contaminant mm -hmm. on it that can scratch that surface. Yeah, I would be even hesitant to use alcohol unless you add. That would be the absolute last resort, right. even diluted. It's literally pure water should do it. And if it's just dust, then literally you are very lightly going over it with either a clean duster or a clean microfiber rag just to get that off of there. And then if you are tempted to use one of those cans of compressed gas to dust the nooks and crannies out of your screen, don't. Uh, those typically contain various types of oils or bitterants that can leave a residue on surfaces, not ideal for optics. And while you're cleaning the TV, check the backside too, especially around vents or any ports where heat might need to escape. Make sure those aren't clogged up with any dust or dust bunnies. And in general, if you can keep your TV out of direct sunlight, it's going to last longer, especially yeah. the screen surface. I would be less concerned about like direct sunlight hitting the back of the TV, but for the screen surface itself, that's something that's, uh, I think, a little more fragile and worth not having in direct sunlight, unless it is specifically made for that function and you are, uh, <laughs> you know what you're doing there. But anyway, yeah, stick to some light dusting when possible. Always use a clean microfiber. Stick to just pure water, lightly dampened on that microfiber if you actually need to clean something on there kind of thoroughly. I find even for fingerprints, I don't need to use anything other than the clean microfiber. Uh, and typically, I'm not dealing with anything worse than that. But yeah, no no peanut butter being thrown at the screen. Anyway. <sighs> Sorry. But clean it when I you was... need to. The children were young. They had no idea what they were doing. Um, quick shout out to Valve. Um, we don't do a whole lot of console coverage here, but Valve is releasing the Steam Deck. And I just want to give a shout out to Valve because they're going to be working with uh, iFixit, amongst other places, to offer replacement parts for the Steam Deck, for the Valve Index VR kits. And uh, nice. uh, there's not a, not a lot of detail there. Uh, there is, by the way, if you are an enthusiast of teardowns, they've got one for the new Steam Deck up on iFixit.com. Those are always amazing to watch. But I just want to give a shout out. Anytime I see a consumer electronics company making uh, repair parts available, I am happy and I want to encourage that. So I'll just, I'll just leave that right there. Yeah. So I, I mentioned the JDS Labs, uh, the Element 3 last week, headphone amplifier, DAC. It, it has been uh, my, the Element, the Element 2, and now the Element 3 have been my primary tools for listening to audio for several years now, pretty much since the Element came out. It is a lovely sculpted aluminum base with a large knob sticking out of the top of it and a headphone jack on the front and RCA jacks on the back and a USB in and a SPDIF in. And I mentioned all this and in the previous versions uh, before the Element 3 analog inputs. And it's really simple. It's a wire with gain. Uh, the Element was fantastic. Uh, John Sieber over at JDS Labs massage the designs. He, he came out with the Atom, and we've talked about that since the Atom came out, which was, you know, a $100 headphone amplifier and then a $110 DAC that delivered the performance of considerably more expensive options out there. And he learned a lot. There's a lot of artistry in how you arrange the components on a board to minimize noise. And one of the ways you increase your SPDIF or your THD plus N to deliver, you know, 
basically a black hole out of which the sound comes. Um, because an amplifier should do one thing. It should make the signal that's put into it louder. And it should do it without adding any additional noise, right? And, you know, if, if you're old enough or if you've, if you've had ex been exposed to old enough stereo equipment, you've probably had a stereo where if you hit paused or before you put the needle down on the record or bef if you pause the CD or whatever, you would kind of hear a <laughs> from the speakers. And that's the noise that we're talking about here. And audio performance, especially on the headphone side of things, uh, headphone amplifiers and DACs, has made astounding improvements in the last few years, starting... Uh, with a project that came out from Northwest Audio Guy and uh, the the Objective series, right? And JDS started doing the... Well, they started doing stuff before that. I won't get too far into the history of them. Uh, but they've been around for a while. But, but basically the idea that, of using tools to create objectively verifiable performance on the electronics. Because there's a lot of people out there like, man, the tube sound, or man, I like this, or man, I like that, or, you know, when I use this amplifier, there's an increased amplitude on the bass that allows me to hear more chocolate in the midtones. And it's, I get it, you're reviewing wine and pretending it's a headphone amplifier. Or no, you're reviewing a headphone amplifier like it's wine, but literally, an amplifier should do one thing. It should make the input signal louder. It should have enough power uh, to control the the driver that is turning the electrical signal into the, you know, pulses of, of audio energy that hit your ears. I digress. I love the design. I really do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it goes back favorites. to the Fulla that I'm always <laughs> such a fan of. And this is right down that line, but even... Yeah. Even better looking. I mean, granted, the price is effectively significantly a, a, higher. Yes, but damn it, it's got that cool display. It's got the knob, <laughs> so you can you can get it in different colored rings <laughs> to really spice it up. Anyway, yeah. So the I element, know. the element two, uh, <laughs> Mr. C. We took a bunch of what he learned on the atom design to make the element too. And I was testing some speakers a few years ago and I realized the speakers were picking up noise from my monitor. Not a lot, but I could hear it because, you know, this I was using them as, as near-field monitors. And it was funny because at the time was right after the Atom had just come out and I basically was pressing the Atom up against my monitor. Not on the front side where the screen is, but on the back side. And, you know, these $1,500 powered speakers were picking up noise from the monitor, but this $100 JDS Labs Adam was not picking up the noise like you know John had done such a good job of of just eliminating the ability for this for this headphone amplifier to pick up noise I was blown away so that was the element too is is they took that sort of you know the the design things that he learned with the PCB layout and how he was laying parts out in the PCB and that became the element too so it had an even higher performance the element one I'm done right I've found end game because that's a, a you know audiophile geeks going endgame, something I like to laugh because it's endgame until you hear the next shiny thing. But uh, I never thought there was anything wrong with the element too, except I always wanted to use, I wanted to turn the knob more. I wanted more granular control of the volume knob. Most of the time I'm using headphones, even my most power hungry headphones only allowed me to use a little bit of the volume knob, like a few degrees, 10, 15 degrees, something like that. And I always wanted to turn the volume up more because, you know, apparently that's what I do instead of dropping a needle on a record. The Element 3 fixes that. The Element 3 does a bunch of things for JDS Labs. Uh, first of all, it's kind of a statement from, from JDS, right? And the statement is that we've taken Cyanide or, or THC plus N measurements far, far beyond human hearing, right? Like, you know, 
like a sign-in of 110 is ridiculous. And they decided they wanted to work on something that was more useful or noticeable for the people using their tools to listen to music. And there are several things going on here. A custom encoder that replaces the volume knob, that display that you notice at OLED display. And uh, they added a couple things like DSD support. I did not expect to enjoy the OLED display. I was like, I don't need a display. This is my headphone amplifier. But that custom encoder they built, you click on it and it brings up the display and you hold it down and it allows you to go into the menu. You can basically change how long, because the screen's only up for a couple seconds and it goes dark, which I really appreciate. But you can do things like play around with the encoder resolution. You can play around with... Uh, filters and stuff. Um, it allows you to change settings inside of it. And in the past, you would have to do things like, you know, do a firmware update or something. This allows you to control things inside the unit itself. You can just select DAC filters in real time if you're into that kind of thing. If you're curious what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about DAC filters, email askadavexcel.com and I'll talk about it next week. Um, Looks solid, man. It did, right? They simplified the controls. They removed the analog inputs, which is a bummer for anybody that was plugging, say, their turntable into an Element 2. But what they did there is there's a power button on the back. There's a, a button you click to switch between the headphone and the RCA uh, outputs, right? Because it, it works as a preamp for your amplifier. So you can switch between running your headphones and your speakers on your desktop off of the Element 2, excuse me, the Element 3. The gain button is gone. One of the things John did when he redesigned this was he set it up so it automatically switches from low gain to high gain when you turn the volume up enough. When it needs to, it switches into high gain mode. This is good. You can hear the relay click over as it does its thing. You know, and the display is really useful. It tells you what input you're using, what output you're using. It lets you know if you're in low or high gain for the headphone outfit. It talks about you know, the information on the signal that's going through it. But the really big thing is that digital volume control linked to the custom encoder that replaces the potentiometer. Potentiometers are a pain in the ass. If you talk to, to audio engineers, they suck. I love volume knobs. Volume knobs are really problematic, uh, especially for somebody like me who spends a lot of time listening with headphones at fairly low levels. Like, my ears are sensitive. Not like, I have golden ears because I'm an audiophile, but literally, if the volume's up too high, it hurts. Um, so I'm always... I understand that. Yeah, when I'm in a studio, I'm always the guy like, can you turn the volume down more? Can you turn the volume? And, and there are people like, can you hear that? And I'm like, yes, and they stare at me funny. Um, so one of the problems with a lot of potentiometers is that as the volume goes down, you will often find that the left and right volume, the channels get kind of out of sync. One's louder than the other. So these are perfectly in sync down to, I think, negative 127 dB. I cannot detect the 255 steps in the encoder. The channel matching uh, is perfect all the way down. And cool. best of all, I get to use total rotation on the big knob. <laughs> right. See, that's where I really don't mind something going from analog to digital. If you yeah. can retain the feel I'm looking for, literally, that's a big part of it. But also, it's so smooth in terms of being able to step up or down that yeah. it eliminates all of that that weirdness that we've experienced yeah. with previous setups. And it's nice. It's nice not to have just a small fraction of the total rotation of a knob be all yeah. you can really or realistically use. Yeah. It's the way it should be. My first generation Focusrite, we, you and I were laughing at one point because I had this Focusrite. We used to sit in the room, you know, with two headsets plugged into it. And right. you literally had about two millimeters between the level was too low, the level was too high. Oh, and <laughs> ridiculous. You should see 
<laughs> you should see Rob's design face flaw. As he says that. That's all I'm going to um, say. Well, that but that's right. That's that's potentiometer taper, and you can adjust the taper so that you know it, it's it's the taper is never right. In this case, the taper is amazing because you have all of the taper, which is not accurate or technical. Uh, and if if John's listening, he's probably cringing right now. Audiophile folks tend to freak out about digital volume controls, right? And this encoder essentially does digital volume control for the Element 3. And uh, I also want to take a moment to thank all of our patrons, patreon.com slash avxl. That's the place you go if you want to help support Rob and I making avxl each and every week for you. Um, got hangouts. We have additional info. You got a path to message us directly. We're going to figure out other things to do. If you're into Discord or other things that you'd like to see us do as part of Patreon, do us a favor. Email us, ask at avxl.com. Or if you're a patron, just message us on Patreon. So uh, seriously, thank you. Thank you, thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash avxl. You make the show possible. Tuntun emailed ask at avxl.com with a soundbar question. It says, hey, Robert and Patrick, have you guys heard anything about the Polk Audio Cigna S4? I'm wondering how this compares to the Sonos Beam Gen 2 or the Bose Smart Soundbar 900. Keep up the great show. Sincerely, Tuntun Yulo, and thank you. Well, first of all, I should point out that uh, <laughs> the, the Cigna S4 is a lot less expensive than one of those uh, offerings. The... Uh, Polk Audio Signet S4 is a $400 Dolby Atmos 3.1.2 uh, soundbar slash wireless sub. It's got a little 5.9-inch driver in that wireless sub. Uh, I don't know if it's really a subwoofer so much as a woofer. That came out, I want to say, in December of 2021. Both the Sonos Arc and the Bose Soundbar 900 are running about $900. Oh, the Beam is still about $450, maybe yeah. $400 when it goes on sale. And that doesn't yeah. include a subwoofer from Sonos, no. of course. It does not. I mean, it, I, I think it's probably, I, I, I suspect, I have not heard it, but I suspect, I, I'd be curious to see what the numbers look like. I would not be surprised if the low-end output from the Sonos Beam is very, very similar to the Cigna S4 with its uh, wireless subwoofer. Because one of the things that, that if when you start measuring the wireless subwoofers with a lot of these soundbars or the subwoofers that come with a lot of these soundbars is some of them get down there to like 80, 70, maybe even 60 hertz. <laughs> and, and not a lot of it, but it's an improvement over not having it. This is kind of a, an add-on. Polk has the S3, which is a 2.1 soundbar slash subwoofer. The S4 adds those Atmos upfiring channels. Brent Butterworth and the crew over at Wirecutter uh, picked JBL's Bar 2.1 Deep Bass as having better sound uh, for the price range over the Polk S3 series. Basically, the kind of take I got from it, the, the S3 sounded great, um, but when you heard it side-by-side -side with the JBL Bar 2.1, which is essentially a, a stereo slash uh, subwoofer soundbar kit, that it had the bass was better, and I think the sound overall was better. Um that's what I would like to hear, actually. Yeah. I would love to pit that against the Polk. If you're looking for a soundbar, uh, that Wirecutter Roundup is really worth your time. In classic Wirecutter fashion, it is the best soundbar. And that came out in January. We mentioned this last week. But uh, there's a lot of soundbar options out there, and the quality of them varies radically. You know, Samsung's been doing some great things lately. Uh 
you know, and it's kind of crazy, right? So you have everything from like $90 to $1,200 sound bars out there now. And uh, <laughs> that's a lot of variation. It um, is. <laughs> I mean, I use a Sonos Arc and I absolutely adore it, but it is on the premium side of as far yeah. as pricing goes. And it doesn't include a subwoofer which could yeah. effectively almost double the price tag of that setup if you want to go that route, let alone surround speakers. But I think any one of these would be great. I would always go back to that yeah. wire cutter review first just to see yeah. what they're... It makes me want to take a good listen to that JBL bar 2.1 with the deep bass technology. <laughs> Polk has some fantastic speakers, especially at the entry level. I think for sound bars, there's probably some better options than Polk out there. But, uh, uh, you know... All of them are probably going to be a step up from any speakers that are inside your television. So That reminds me, I need to take a listen to Sonos's, what is it, Sonos Radio HD. They're basically offering a CD quality subscription offering from their uh, music service, in addition to, I think, everyone else on the planet. But anyway, they have one now. <laughs> and it bumps it up from the, I'll admit, their regular radio service sounds pretty good. So if they actually do offer CD bit rates and uh, quote-unquote lossless that way, uh, all the better. Especially if it's affordable. Seriously. I think it's oh seven bucks a month. I got to check, though. Don't quote me on that. I will not. <laughs> Damien emailed ask at avxl.com. Thought you'd get a kick out of this and uh, added a link to Lad Bibles. Woman transforms living room into cinema in one week. Damien adds, sometimes we get so caught up with the equipment and specs, we forget the good enough fun side. And uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, it's a link to Jamila King. Uh, that would be TikTok's another... Another A-N-O-T-H-A DIY project. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And she basically just rocks out the family home theater room, um, adding in trim and art and blacking out the walls and lighting. It's a pretty fantastic upgrade. And uh, it has me thinking about modifications I would like to make to my basement, which will take place long after I deal with modifications in the kitchen and uh, dealing with some of the atrocious trim <laughs> the previous owner left glued to the walls of the house. No fun there, but oh, I do appreciate started. <laughs> value home theater, man. And I swear, I always go back to when I had a really nice portable projector from mm -hmm. LG, one that actually had a tripod mount that made it super Ooh. easy, and it was lightweight enough where literally I just kept it on the tripod the whole time and would just move it around where needed, point it at this wall, take it outside, hang an antenna off of it uh, with that built-in <laughs> tuner. Anyway, yeah, getting stuff done on a budget, especially if it's a, a space where something like that is needed is always a fun project. And I'll, I'm going to check that out. You should. It's good stuff. My wife is rewatching Ozarks before she takes on season four of the series. Um, Man, it is so beautifully shot. It is so well acted. It is so depressing as all hell. Uh, but it's it's really also a nice one to give your... Uh, it's not sort of a spectacular workout. It's not like a Marvel movie. It's not like some big, giant sword and laser production. But, you know, there's just so much going on visually in that show. I've been watching Reacher, uh, which has been out on Amazon Prime. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Mabel. Uh, just released season four, uh, which must be doing okay because season five just got greenlit. That show is unbelievably funny. I should also s 
pronounce it clearly, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, that fifth season is going to be their final season. That is some absolutely funny stuff. Uh, cool. I also get to say that I'm I'm quite ready to see Dog, which is Channing Tatum's latest. Um, he co-directed that with his uh, screenwriting slash producing partner uh, Reed Carolyn. Yeah, PTSD, dogs, healing, road trips. I plan to cry my eyes out and laugh my ass off. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, it sounds from the reviews I've seen. It sounds pretty good. Uh, if it sucks, don't tell me. Let me go into it blind and. Rage, watch my way through it. <laughs> you do you, man. You do whatever it takes. It's got dogs. <laughs> that can get me. Uh, uh, be kind to your animals. Anywho. Oh, my goodness. I've got my MotoGP subscription. I just uh, had that renew. That includes not only the 2022 season, which starts early March. Keep that on your calendar. But it includes access to their wonderful archive that goes all the way back to 1992. To me personally, that's just one of the more exciting motorsports to watch. It just tickles all the right things for me and just, eh, it's it's a battle. And hopefully they're still doing the Electric League. I got to verify that they actually are. But anyway, uh, as far as my regular viewing, I've been binge watching Joe's Classic Video Games. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, but it's a YouTube channel that focuses on the doings at a sweet repair and sale shop in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Brothers Ron and Donnie, they beautifully narrate the repair and restoration sessions, and it can be with a a classic pinball machine, be it the old school or electromechanical or digital, as well as arcade cabinets of varying vintages. And they receive their uh, sweet treatment. And it's really just low-key enjoyable, especially if you happen to own one of these classics that's in need of some TLC. It's a great way to see the innards and how these things are, are actually put together and work. And uh, overall, it's just a fun channel with with very nice people. And <laughs> it's it's easy on the soul. Anyway, also, just on the tech side of things, I'm seeing many people, many people, breathlessly awaiting Sony's A95K. That's the 4K OLED TV that should be arriving soon. It's currently listed on the Sony website. This is the one featuring that fresh Samsung display quantum dot <laughs> OLED technology. I personally want one. But I just upgraded my cell phone, so I'm holding off from any new display purchases for at least a few months. And still no word on the Samsung Electronics Quantum Dot OLED offering, which is kind of curious. Uh, It may portend to things coming from Samsung Electronics this year as far as their QD OLED. Anyway, I don't want to say any more. I'm going to do a little more digging, but (laughs) do stay tuned. I want to know what's up, and I I really want to see that A95K from Sony. That should just be a visual delight as far as a 55 and 65 inch screen size offering for 2022. We like a good visual delight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. If you want to email us, if you got a question for us, and please, if you got a comment, a suggestion, something you want to tell us about, something you want to share with the audience. Uh, your fellow listeners, do us a favor, email us, ask at avxl.com. You can tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at avxl. If you need a hashtag, hashtag askavxl works for us. And uh, seriously, 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 thank you all for listening. Thanks to all of our patrons. I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on avxl. That's the bueno. That's the bueno. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ball. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ball. Strengths.
At least it's Friday, man. <laughs> In three, two, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the weekend.